Michelle. Hi, I'm Caitlin. Welcome to Better Words. Hey, Michelle. How are you going? Hey, Caitlin. I'm good. How are you? I'm feeling fantastic. These <laughs> intros always sound so fake and I don't know how to fix it. But they do. Right. I know. It's how do so people awkward. do this part? Oh, <laughs> so cringe. Oh, I had like the best weekend, which I'm excited to share with you. How have you, yes, how have you been? Tell me about week? it. Do you want to go first? Do you want to say like, how, how have you been? Oh, yeah. Been busy? I have been busy. Um, I actually have an aerial competition on this weekend, so I'm busy training and I'm currently sitting here trying to like roll my shoulder back and make it feel a bit better. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's my definition of busy is um, some training and stuff at the moment. It takes a How lot of you? time though. What are you, what are you doing your routine to this time? Cause like I'm I doing... think some people probably would have seen your parenthood at uh, parent, parent trap one. Yeah, so I'm doing the Greece one again because the competitions were so close together. I have made a few adjustments. I don't know how obvious they'll be to non-aerial people, but, yeah. I really need to find another pole studio. I miss it so much. I feel so out of shape already, and I feel like when (laughs) I do go back, it's just going to be pain, like, (gasps) yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it takes a bit to get back into it once you stop, but you'll you will once you find another once you find another studio. So that's good. <laughs> um so on the weekend we went to Liverpool, which was really oh, fun. Amazing. I know. So I actually didn't do any Beatles sightseeing though. Um, <laughs> How was that possible? <laughs> because like, okay, in my mind, I was like, well, I already did it all last time. So I did, like, the museum, the tours and stuff like that the first time I went in 2017. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing was the first time I went, the weather was atrocious. So doing museums and stuff was really good. But this time we were staying with friends who also everyone should go follow Cat. She's at the book Cat on Instagram, and I just – love her rainbow feed. Caitlin, are you following her? Probably. I don't know. <laughs> just because she has the most amazing rainbow bookshelves and like rainbow aesthetic and I just know you would love it. So, <laughs> so you. Um, so we just had such a great time. So Kat has been so amazing and supportive. She's been over here for a year and a half with her girlfriend, Mel. Mel oh, is Mel is British. So um, we had like that local knowledge and stuff. But when I was moving over, she was like, here's my UK number. And he's like, you know, we've been messaging frequently and she's like checking in on me, giving me tips about how to settle in and all that sort of stuff. And like making me feel better about like, I'd be like, I've done nothing. And she's like, it's okay. So it's just been really nice to have someone not only who's like a friend, but who's literally gone through the same thing. So yeah. she gets it. So that's yeah, really that's wonderful. Awesome. And as with like lots of bookstagram friends, really, like you already sort of know each other. So when we met, it was like, oh my God, we already like have so much that we know about each other. It's a really funny feeling. <laughs> um, as opposed to like, you know, a first date where you're like, so what are you like? <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. so good. So um, we stayed with Kat and Mel and like, honestly, it was the most joyful weekend. Like literally we 
we all were like, God, we're usually in bed by like nine o'clock and we just stayed up talking to like 1am. It was wonderful. Oh, that's awesome. Like, you know, those times where like, we just had like on the Friday night, for example, we just like had some drinks and a cheese board and like, we just chatted for hours. And like, the thing that was lovely for me too, is it wasn't just me talking like Jack sometimes like I just I talk so much and I'm so talkative he just like sort of lets me go um he does can be a bit shy and like he is shy meeting new people as well so what I noticed though is like Kat and I would get into a discussion and him and Mel would be having this chat and like it was so lovely that like we were all just getting along so well and like honestly it's just the best weekend ever so that's partly the reason why I didn't do much because um yeah so they were both working on Saturday and we did go and have a look around the city but I also scheduled in another blogger catch-up um so I also met Julia from the Independent Girls Collective and she was just lovely and it's the same thing it was like we just straight away just chatting and like and then we were like oh my god it's been like two hours we need to go like it was yeah (laughs) it was just really wonderful but I said to Jack oh my god next time I go somewhere I cannot schedule book like or blogger catch-ups because I just spend the whole day chatting and not actually seeing the place but it was really lovely and the other thing was like it's only two hours on the train so we are definitely going to go back more I love Liverpool like the vibe is just oh I can't even describe it like I feel like I feel like on the cast like it's it's the atmosphere it's the vibe it's Marbo it's <laughs> you know it's just that thing where you're like I can't describe it it's just wonderful I love it um and sorry that was a very bad castle reference joke by the way it probably yeah, came I off know. sounding bad okay <laughs> Well, like, anyone also who doesn't know, like, who hasn't seen the movie is going to be like, what's Marbo? Like, I just, <laughs> that didn't work I'll very well. I'll put a clip well. in the show notes, everyone. Okay. If you don't get that reference, you can watch the clip in the show notes. So it's just everything, and I like it more than London. Like, London to me is very overwhelming. Like, it's yes, it's amazing, mm. but it's like it's like when you go on Netflix and you're like, I just want to watch a movie, and then you're like, fucking hell, there's so much. Oh, I don't think I should swear. <laughs> <laughs> sorry I it's just like you, you go on Netflix and you're like oh my god there is so much to choose from you're like do I want like a, a crime thing do I want like a funny thing do I want a dramatic thing do I want a sad thing and you're like okay I'll do a dramatic thing it's like do I want like a Jennifer Aniston movie like you know you just go through and you're like oh my god there is so much choice and then you're like okay I'm just gonna go back to watching IT crowd or Brooklyn Nine-Nine for like the 15th time um, because it's too much choice. That's how I feel about <laughs> London. Like it's just it's too much. It's too much. And it literally just blows my mind how big it is. And like people who grew up in the cities will probably be like, are you two country bumpkins, right? Like it just, of course, yep. everyone loves London, but there's just this vibe in Liverpool that I really love and I don't know if it's because it feels familiar because I spent so long obsessing about the Beatles or not, but it's just something really lovely about it. The people are lovely. And so getting back to my original point, (laughs) 
what we did do is we went and had a, a walk along like the pier and the docks area like outside in a little bit of sunshine which was lovely because the first time I went there it was basically cyclonic rain and um couldn't really go outside so the only Beatles related thing I did was to get my photo with the Beatles statue oh yes which, I saw that yeah so we didn't go there the first time because it's outside and mm. the rain was horrendous um but then on the Sunday Cat and Mel took us to their local so they don't actually live in Liverpool they're a bit out and we went to their local like it's like it's like a it's a farm but they do the most amazing breakfasts and fruit like the food was to die for and oh, that's cool they had a dog show on and so we went and you went to a dog show yes that is it was so, so cool good. it was so good and all four of us were just like oh my god the dogs are everywhere and it was like it was just like a fun it wasn't like a it wasn't like a competitive dog show it was like a fun it was a charity dog show and there were literally events where like everyone just bought their dogs like there were hundreds of dogs there and then they'd be like okay we have like the best sausage catch competition and like you could just line up and go and enter your dog in and you just like throw a sausage and the dog that catches the best wins you know um and there was another one that was like little kids having to say why their dog's their best friend which was just so cute. It was amazing. That's really cute. Um, so, yeah, it was like a really chill day. My God, there were just so many dogs. And because everyone's like dog people, like they're totally okay with you just walking around looking at their dogs and like patting their dogs. And, oh, my God, it was just amazing. There's that so many. so fun. There were so many poodle crosses there and Frenchies and quite a few pugs. Good breeds, good, good yes. dogs. Yeah. <laughs> Although all um, the pugs were really, really fat, like really oh. fat. Because like of like if listeners don't know, I have a pug um called Percy and obviously don't have him with me in the UK, but um he's very skinny. Like yeah. not under he's he's slim. He's a slim, muscular, lean little athletic body and he's not the usual pug like like. a pudgy pug yeah Yeah. and all of these were like pudgy little pugs (laughs) god it's funny (laughs) oh but there were some like and there were people there who had like their three-month-old puppies and they were like proper little puppies on like their first day out there's like a little puppy dash hound and it was amazing but there was also like a saint bernard there that literally looked like a horse like oh my god i know it was massive his name was rupert this is um, the coolest thing, and oh. it sounds like you had a way, way better weekend than I did. It was so good, and it took so many photos, and I'm thinking about doing, like, I was just going to put them on my private Facebook, and then I was like, I know how many people who follow me on Instagram loves, love dogs, so I might just put a poll out there and say, like, do you want to see, like, my best dog photos? It'll yes, like everyone, photos. Loves, everyone loves good dog content. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, I might do that. I might do that then. I haven't even got them off my camera yet, but yeah. So that was yeah, my that was too. my weekend and I've I've not been I've not been reading much because I'm reading a very very long, quite dry historical fiction for uni. So oh, that's okay. mm, getting there. I'm halfway through. That's good. Actually I'm up to page I'm up to page two hundred and forty, which is quite the achievement. I think there's 
I think there's about 500, there's 560 pages. So I feel like I'm making okay. good headway. Um, yes, that's technically yeah. over halfway. <laughs> Just. And what have you been doing? Reading. Well, yeah, my weekend um, was a much quieter compared to your eventful <laughs> weekend in Liverpool. But I did start my weekend by seeing Spider-Man Far From Home with my younger brother on Friday night. And this movie has been like, for all the Marvel fans, you'll know, you know, it's the first one after Endgame. It's this new phase in the franchise and, you know, Iron Man's dead. Like, what are we going to do? Like, all these things. And I do really think that it was a fantastic movie and a really good sequel, too, because it's actually the second Spider-Man movie of the third lot of Spider-Man movies. <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot. I'm so confused by, like, who's – because. Spider-Man to me is still those like ones with Kirsten Dunst in them. <laughs> yeah, so I remember those ones too. I never actually watched any of the ones with Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone, but Tom Holland will be my Spider-Man forever. I think <laughs> he is just the best. I love him. Um, but yeah, the movie was really, really good, and Harry and I had so much fun watching it. And it was really funny to watch Jake Gyllenhaal in this movie. I don't want to give anything away, but, you know, there are so many moments that you're like, damn, I hate you. And then, oh, damn, you're great. And it's, like, so funny. But, yeah, so that was really good. And I also read a fair bit on my weekend. So I have finished reading two wonderful books recently. The first is I finally, finally got to read Kindred the um, queer Oswaye anthology that we interviewed Michael about because our bookstore here in Rockhampton didn't, I, I couldn't find it anywhere in town. So I had to order it in. Um, but I finally finished the anthology and each story was so different and beautiful and wonderful. And, you know, I probably do have a few favorites, but I'll keep those to myself. And, <laughs> but yeah, it was really wonderful. It's a really great collection um and it just got me thinking because I put it on my bookshelf and then I saw underdog there and begin and begin and I'm like oh look at all these this is so wonderful all these Aussie (sighs) anthologies yes yeah yeah and the other wonderful book um that I read during the week was while you were reading um by Ali and Michelle who wrote the book ninja who we also interviewed Yes, we did. Yeah. Um, And that was just such a fun one. The funny story with this book is actually that my roommate, Monica, she went to the library for something completely different. And I obviously talked about Ali and Michelle and the book Ninja enough that she remembered their names when she saw the book cover (laughs) and just borrowed it for me. Oh, bless. That's so cute. Yeah. So she just was like, oh, I got you something at the library. And she's like, so you have to return it. But, you know. (laughs) But, yeah, so I got to read one of the brand new copies at the Rockhampton Library. They're Um, actually so good with brand new books. Yeah. So I was impressed that it was there because it only came out last week, this book. Mm. So, yeah, already ticked that one off the list (laughs) because I was really looking forward to that one. And it was very fun. The main character this time worked in marketing, so that was fun for me. Nice. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but, of course, oh. you know, all the bookish goodness that's in those books is just so so fun for a reader to read about another reader. 
mm. bit of a twister but you know what I mean <laughs> yeah well it's like the reason why we loved um the paper and heart society as well it's just like your yeah nerd gets to come out and exactly yeah, it's wonderful. yeah. yeah. so yeah that's oh. what I've been up to <laughs> well <laughs> we better go and let everyone listen to the interview um but yeah here's to more reading yeah here's to more reading <laughs> Okay, and we're good to go. Our guest today writes from a gypsy caravan in her backyard and has penned a novel described as Marion Keys meets Love Actually. She started her career as a newspaper journalist and now works at the University of Tasmania. Her latest novel, Starcrossed, written under the pen name Minnie Dark, has sold to over 20 countries. Welcome to Better Words, Danielle Wood. Thank you very much for having me. It's absolutely our pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, before we even get into any of the questions, I do want to say this is one of the first and possibly even the only books that Michelle and I actually said, let's read this at the same time like a book club sort of thing. Yes, and we had another person too who read it with us. Yeah, (laughs) because often we'll like sort of alternate and like she'll read one and then maybe lend it to me or, or we just happen to read things, you know, a couple of weeks before or after each other. But we sat down and read it at the same time and it was awesome. <laughs> well, wonderful. There must be something in the stars. So can I just ask, um, Michelle, what star sign are you? Libra. Libra. And what, and what about you, Caitlin? I'm a Sagittarius, just like Justine. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. It's wonder you two are friends because, you know, air needs fire. So isn't that wonderful? Yes. <laughs> My sister is actually a Libra as well. Her birthday yeah. is about a week and a half before Michelle's. <laughs> so um, Michelle is the very balanced one. And, uh, and Caitlin, I'm guessing you're the slightly fierier one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man, I almost want to jump straight into the astrology questions, but I think yeah. we'll start with the book. <laughs> um, so what did inspire you to write Starcross? Like where did, you know, I guess the idea and that focus on astrology come from? Well, I actually had the idea for the book a very, very long time ago. So I was uh, working as a young journalist at a very small newspaper in Tasmania and it was the kind of publication with very small staff where it was just kind of handy for everyone to have quite a powerful login so that you could um, uh, have access to the publication right up to the last minute. And I remember being at work late one night and realising that I, I had access to the horoscope page. And at the <laughs> time, I had a, a friend who was a Virgo and he had this strange belief that the horoscopes in this particular newspaper were really accurate in his life. Now, this was odd to me because they were those very syndicated kind of horoscopes that you think might even be created by a computer rather than by a human. and yeah, Like really generic. And- Really generic. And there was always this phrase that used to come up in my horoscope. It would say, small animals will be important in your life today. You know, (laughs) what? Anyway, um, so I I had this friend and I thought, you know, I I could really mess with his head. I could make the horoscopes just incredibly accurate for his life. Or if I knew he had a big decision coming up, I could maybe manipulate that decision by tweaking the horoscopes or something. Now, I'm not saying I definitely ever did that. But I definitely thought about it. And (laughs) what it made me think was two things. One was 
if I did that, what about all the other Virgos? What if there were other Virgos reading their star signs and making really big decisions based on them, but I had fiddled with them? You know, could I actually be altering fate? And then the other question I had was, wow, that would make a really amazing idea for a novel. Because if you did fiddle with the horoscopes, you could potentially be affecting lots of people's lives. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. And I just love the way that unfolds Mm. in the story. And Mm. I love that. I never would have guessed that it came from such a similar situation. (laughs) (laughs) But actually, what I learned after writing Starcrossed was that, of course, it's not uh, a new idea, really. Um, Although I, at the time I started writing it, there were no other novels I could find that had a similar plot. Um, But I did Um, after I'd finished writing the book I ran into my boss at that same publication he said what have you been up to I told him and he told me that when he was a young man writing for a television magazine in Australia in the 1970s he um, rewrote the star signs for Aries because he was in love with a with a young woman who was an Aries and he eventually married her so there you go how that connects a little bit to something that happens in the book and the other thing that I learned is there is a certain media baron of international significance he is a Pisces and he reads his star signs and apparently some of the sub-editors in his newspapers around the world sometimes massage the star signs for Pisces to uh, keep him in a good mood so I have read <laughs> oh my god I wonder if that's the same person who employed me. Yeah. <laughs> and and even, um, even perhaps more remarkably than that, I don't know if either of you have ever read a book by Elizabeth Gilbert called Big Magic. Yes, I have. I, so I love it. There's a part in Big Magic. So if there are any aspiring writers listening to your podcast, um, it's a fabulous book to read if you're a writer. It really is incredibly encouraging. But there's a part in it where Elizabeth Gilbert is talking about how she had an idea for writing a book that was set in the Panama Canal. And she ended up not writing this novel. It just didn't go very well for her. And then years later, she read a book by her friend, and Patchett. It had virtually the same plot as the book that she'd imagined. So she has this idea that books are out there like fireflies and and as writers, you have to grab them and, and, and write them or otherwise they will go to someone else. And uh, yeah. just after I'd finished Starcrossed and it, was, it had been picked up all around the world, I found out um, that a Colombian journalist had written a novel called The Zodiac Man with a very, very similar plot, but where the, the person doing the tweaking of the horoscopes is a man trying to get the attention of a woman. Oh, so there's, so, another, cool, yeah. so there's another novel out there in the world, but but so far I think only in Spanish and Arabic that um, <laughs> has this similar plot. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm such a big believer in, in that theory of Elizabeth's, like a yeah, really, I the really story truly, will go find someone else. Yeah, and that the story finds you at the right time because I've certainly had like projects like the true crime podcast I just wrote was something that kept coming back into my life and it was mm-hmm. like it wouldn't leave me alone until I did something with it. So I definitely am a big believer in that too. Um, but in, in terms of astrology in particular, were you always interested in it or was it just – um, coming from that idea that you could potentially change the stars? 
Well, I grew up um, with a lot of women who bought and read magazines. And I actually think this is quite quite a rich environment to grow up in. So, you know, I had my mother, my grandmothers, my aunts. They would all have read things like Women's Weekly, Woman's Day, The New Idea. (laughs) And, And back in the 80s when it was very, very cool, I subscribed to Dolly magazine. And yes, (laughs) every January in all those sorts of publications, you'd get that special that would come out your year ahead in the stars. And that would love dreaming those. (laughs) It would be just the time of year when I would be down at the family shack. You know, my my mother and my grandmother would have left magazines lying all around the place. And I would read several versions of this, you know, your year ahead in the stars. So sort of without meaning to, I got quite a good grounding in astrology. (laughs) (laughs) oh I love that though I've always been I don't know I've always read them and I think I guess in the past couple of years um it's come across more as like reading about you know the personalities of like different star signs and things like that like rather rather than like this is what will happen in your day type thing so that's really interesting you should bring that up because while I don't ever, you know, seek out my horoscopes to try to plan my life, um, yeah. <laughs> I am quite interested in how people identify as or reject identifying as their particular star sign. So some people really love that and they take that on as a big part of their identity and other people sort of, um, you know, enjoy confounding the stereotypes of their horoscope. But I I love the way, too, that people have some kind of tribal affiliation with other people of their same sign. Um, Recently, I was out for dinner and it somehow worked out that the waiter and I worked out we had the same birthday. And so, of course, you know, we hugged because obviously we're, you know, spiritually connected in some way because we have the same (laughs) birthday. Um, And I think that as a system of belief... Astrology is among the more harmless. I'm, I'm not sure that any wars have ever been started over astrology. But <laughs> True. Not may, to my knowledge, no. Maybe somebody's going to correct me on this point. But, um, you know, compared to religion, which really sets people off, you know, astrology is there as a system of belief and really it's pretty harmless. We all just have quite a lot of fun with it. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a really good way of looking at it, though, because... There was something recently, I don't remember what sparked the conversation, but it meant that everyone in the office was saying, it's like, oh, well, what are your star sign? You know, what's your star sign? And we were looking up like main, like key traits of different signs and everything. And everyone was saying, oh, Caitlin, yours is so right. And we were saying, oh, this and that. And uh, one of the men in the office thought this was all completely ridiculous. So we looked up his star sign and we all thought that it was quite accurate, but he refused to believe it. (laughs) Well, um, uh, interestingly, you you introduced me as both Danielle Wood and Minnie Dark, and uh, Mm. we actually have different star signs. So uh, Danielle is a Leo, but when I invented Minnie Dark, one of the first things I asked her is, what star sign are you? And she told me very quickly, very obviously, that she's a Gemini because she's uh, a kind of cosmic twin of mine. So um, (laughs) uh, both of us share that we have our moon in Virgo. (laughs) I want to get to that a little bit later Um, but I guess first was there any reason why you gave Nick and Justine the star signs that you did? Uh, Yes Um, for one thing they are um, really related to whether or not you're likely to believe in the stars so Ah. 
apparently Sagittarians are likely to be quite sceptical. So there's a famous quote by Frank Herbert, the science fiction writer. He said, I don't believe in astrology. I'm a Sagittarius and we're sceptical. <laughs> and uh, But, you know, there are various lists on the internet that will tell you, you know, what are the signs that are most likely to believe in astrology and what are the signs that are least likely. And Sagittarians are down there at the bottom, but Aquarians and Pisceans are right up there at the top. So if you're looking for a star sign that's compatible with Sagittarius, you're looking for one of the fire signs or the um, air signs. And even though Aquarius is the water bearer, it's actually an air sign. So they're compatible because they're a fire sign and an air sign. Um, also, I just, you know, just to be a little bit personal here for a minute, my beloved, my true love, he's he's an Aquarius. Oh, nice. Well, that's a pretty good reason. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's really interesting, though. I had no idea that, that, you know, there were some that could be more skeptical. Is is Libra more skeptical? Um, Do you know? I'm I'm not sure where you Librans fall. Probably Mm -hmm. right in the middle because you're trying to make a decision. (laughs) Yeah. That sounds so. so true. And you know what? I'll say this. I said before that my sister is also a Libra. Yeah. She loves this and has the Libra constellation tattooed on her rib cage. So if you're oh, skeptical, oh. Michelle, it's probably not because you're a Libra, it's because of something else. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm just a bit like mm, undecided. But I feel like I should be in the middle because I'm not quite sure. Um, so one of the things that we really loved in this book, um, which you alluded to a little bit earlier, was the cusp signs that you write about the the people whose lives may be impacted by Justine's seemingly trivial decision to tweak a few things here and there in one particular star sign. Um, So how did you work out that? Because all those stories sort of start to intermingle and intertwine. Did you have a really solid plan for how you wanted them to mix together or like, I feel like you would have had to for the way that they all worked out. So many characters, so many stories, like how? (laughs) Well, confess that a lot of whiteboard markers died in the making of this book. Oh, yeah. And and I will tell you that at any point in time, I had a really solid plan. But whether that plan (laughs) was the same from one day to the next, no, never. So um, I set myself a really challenging structure with this book. So the main plot, which is the love story between um, Justine and the the man she fancies, uh, that takes place in the main uh, chapters which are named for all of the 12 star signs they're actually 13 chapters we begin and end with Aquarius and we go through every other sign of the zodiac in between those chapters are these sections called cusp where other where we see as you said how other people are affected by Justine's meddling and this was a, a structure that really appealed to me but it was actually extremely challenging because it meant that I had to make the action of the book work over a year and actually eight or ten months would have done the trick so I had to work out how to expand the emotional yes, shape of the novel to fit 12 months. And that was actually really hard. Um, so I had to do a lot of moving around and a lot of rewriting to make that work. But you can imagine when you're trying to match the horoscope that affects the action in the main story with the horoscope affecting the action in the cusp characters, if, if you move something – it's like butterfly wings causing a tsunami. You just create such a massive mess. So every yeah. time I moved something, I had to then do heaps of rewriting and heaps of rethinking to get it to go back together. 
Yeah, that's true. I didn't really think about it that way either because they're, you know, Nick and like all these other characters are reading the same horoscope in whatever month yeah. we're up to. So, yeah, that, yes. I mean, whether or not it took a lot of planning, it would have taken a lot of work to make it all fall into place the right way. That's exactly right. And I should just say that for people listening who are thinking, oh, my goodness, this is a book all about astrology. Actually, if you know nothing about astrology, it won't matter. And if you don't believe in astrology, it won't matter because you have that in common with the main character. And one of the reasons she does what she does with continuing to tweak the horoscopes is that she doesn't think that it's an important thing. She doesn't think it's such a terrible thing to do because she thinks it's all nonsense anyway. Um, so I have had some feedback from people thinking that what she does is really terrible. And, <laughs> and one of the book club questions that I've suggested to people is to talk about, do you think that what Justine does is really bad? Because it, whether or not what she does is bad is going to depend on what your view is of horoscopes. So if you just think it's nonsense, you're not going to think that what she does matters at all. Um, but if you're really into it and you really believe in it, perhaps you'll think what she does is dreadful. Yeah. I, I'm kind of of the opinion that it all worked out in the end anyway. Yeah, but I, well, I'm i more of the opinion that, like, I don't really care about the fact that she changed the star signs. I do think that it was disrespectful to the person who wrote the star signs, which I think is something that's pointed out in the book. And I was like, yes, that's, that's probably the that's where I – Yeah, well. like, that's where I – think hmm, that wasn't the right thing to do um yeah, but it doesn't edit someone else's work without yeah, them knowing yeah, yeah that's what bothers me not the um actually because I'm like now nah, I don't really care that she changed the star <laughs> signs I mean this is fun for the book but um yes. yeah what I'm like mm, that wasn't very ethically right to do so <laughs> yeah <laughs> the, 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 the astrologer is um a character called Leo Thornbury and uh, he was a lot of fun to write. I, I oh, really... He was a, he was uh, I liked him at the end. He was so yeah. good. Like, I liked that we got a little bit of insight into him. I thought that was yeah. lovely. Yeah. And indeed, there were, you know, just so many characters that were, were fun to read. And, you know, that's another bit of feedback I've had on the book. Some people really love the, the big ensemble cast, you know, because mm. there are a lot of characters. And some people find it, I think someone used the word dizzying. There are, you know... Oh. For some people's taste, there were too many. But actually something I really love about this book is um, the idea that we're all in this world together. You know, that that's the original World Wide Web, the fact that we actually all live together on this planet at the same time. And decisions that we make every day have an impact on other people. And so yeah. whether or not you believe in astrology, there is a web of other forces that you're going to come into contact with every day. And it's just as simple as other people making choices so maybe astrology is just one big beautiful metaphor for the fact that um other people are acting on you all the time and maybe those other people we you know we choose to characterize them as stars but um we're very seduced by the idea that we might be able to have some foreknowledge of that or that we might be able to to plan our lives around it so you know for example i was in harvey norman recently and uh, a woman was trying to buy an iPad and, and she was quite impressed by the iPad and then the sales assistant said, so are you going to buy this today? And she said, oh, heavens no, Mercury's in retrograde. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my 
my goodness, that's wonderful. I wish I knew enough to base some yeah, decisions. Yeah, know about that. This. Yeah, I don't know any of that. Yeah, although I'd be lying if I didn't say, you know, sometimes, you know, you go, oh, my God, what is with today? This has just been, like, the craziest day. And then I'll see something on social media about it being, like, you know, we were something in, all about in retrograde or, yeah. like, going or then, you know, it gets dark. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's a full moon. No wonder I'm nuts. <laughs> Like <laughs> we were joking a lot about the Mercury and retrograde stuff at work because yeah. there is a girl at work who um kind of really believes in all the horoscopes and stuff and she always tells us these things and yeah. so yeah we'd have something bad and we'd, she'd be like well you know Mercury's in retrograde and we were like it's the same a huge joke and it was great uh, <laughs> not buying an iPad anytime this week either no oh, no. oh I'm not across whether Mercury is still in retrograde or not. <laughs> Well, our lives seem to be not as catastrophic at the moment, so (coughs) maybe 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 we're out of that phase. (laughs) Um, So you did write Starcrossed under a pen name. So did you always intend to do that or was it something suggested by your publishers or, like, how did that come to be? Okay, so as as myself, as Danielle Wood, I've written Mm. um, four books with my very dear friend Heather Rose, the Tasmanian novelist, um, author of the Stella Prize-winning book, The Museum of Modern Love. Heather and I write together (laughs) as uh, a children's author called Angelica Banks. So we've had some experience of what it's like to write under a pseudonym. Mm. So I think it's a matter – there are a couple of things going on here. One, to be perfectly honest, is just absolute pure unadulterated mischief. I just (laughs) – so I'll I come back to like that. In, yeah. Yeah. So I'll come back to that in a minute. But the other thing is, uh, I think it's really important to manage your readers' expectations because when I write as myself, some of the things I've written are really quite bleak, uh, sometimes very black. Whereas as Mini Dark, I've written this joyful, um, unapologetic romantic comedy. And so I am the sort of reader who likes lots of different kinds of narrative experiences. I, I love um, romantic comedies. I love poetry. I love drama. I love really serious literary fiction. I like historic fiction. I love children's fiction. I love YA fiction. So loving all of these different kinds of writing, I kind of want to have a go at all of them. But mm. readers tend to want to know that you do what's advertised on the tin, you know. So if you write in one particular way, then they're going to buy another book of yours expecting something similar. And if you're really going to do something different, um, then I think a pseudonym can be quite handy in that um, instance. But to be really honest and to get back to the mischief, it would be my total preference that every time I sat down to write a new book that I could first create the perfect author. (laughs) Every time. I would actually like to invent a whole new writer every time I sat down to write because it just strikes me as the first thing you need to do. If you think about how books are written, ask yourself, is the narrator in a book actually exactly the same person as the writer? Mm. If you've got a a first-person narrator in your book who is part of the story world, then very obviously that's not the writer speaking. But what about that kind of third-person narrative voice that tells you the story? Is that the writer or is it someone else? Is it sort of a version of the writer? And I think that that's what it is. I think it's the version of the writer. So really by creating Mini Dark, all I'm doing is naming up that that phenomenon that already exists. Um, So I just really enjoyed creating 
Minnie as the first character in the star-crossed universe. And I, and I hope that other people will just play with me, will just come along with me for the ride because, you know, a bit like Justine with the horoscopes, it's not hurting anyone. It's just a bit of fun. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That's really interesting though. I mean, that what you said about, I guess, the narrator, like, you know, it's some version of the writer. I never thought about it that way before. No. I guess because, well, sometimes, <coughs> depending on the book, the narrator is me watching the story. Yeah, true. In a way. So... <laughs> Yeah, and you will That's possibly. Really interesting. I never thought about it that way. You will possibly have noticed um, in reading Starcross that there is kind of a storytelling voice. You know, there's a, there's a voice in there that's saying to you, "I'm going to take you by the hand and I'm going to lead you through this story. I'm going to tell you this story." So that gets more or less overt at certain points. And I'm working on um, Mini Dark's next book at the moment. It's um. This time it's about music and once again there are these twin plots. There's the main plot and then some subplots that affect the main plot. But again, I find that in order to pull that off, you need this kind of voice that says to the reader, I'm telling you a story and I'm going to hold your hand and I'm going to walk you through all the things and I'm going to show you everything you need to see. Sometimes I'm really going to talk to you like a storyteller. Yeah, almost Mm -hmm. like. Yeah, I guess almost like it's not happening in the present. Like this is the story you're being told. It's already happened and it has a beginning and a middle and an end, not like, oh, gosh, what happens next? Sort of, yeah, what's happening in the moment right now, I guess, way of telling a story. And possibly one of the most influential texts for me in my development as a writer uh, is actually a television series that some of some of your listeners might remember. It was called The Storyteller, Jim Henson's The Storyteller. So it uh, was possibly aimed at children, uh, but it but I was wasn't a child when I became obsessed with it. I was in my late teens, and Jim Henson's Creature Shop uh, created this story storyteller series with John Hurt as the storyteller. And he had a shaggy dog at his feet, a sort of animatronic shaggy dog. And they told versions of fairy tales, the the grim fairy tales and so on, like Hans my Hedgehog and the Three Ravens and the Luck Child and Sap Sorrow, which is sort of a Cinderella story. And uh, I was obsessed with these. I, I watched them over and over. There are still whole parts of the script that I can recite to you. Uh, But the whole concept of having, this storyteller sitting by the fire and he's the one who tells you the story. Um, I, I'm very taken with that notion of, you know, a culture having a storyteller, this person who holds the stories, this person who entertains you with the stories. And above all, this novel, Starcrossed, is meant to entertain you. So I've written other things as myself that are meant to provoke you or meant to make you think very deeply or, maybe meant to disturb you. This mm. book is meant to delight you and entertain you. And it certainly does that. Like it very easily accomplished that. I got so wrapped up in the story very quickly. And I mean, I also, I'm a Sagittarius, so I identified with Justine a little bit. <laughs> I think that actually there was particularly um, a scene where Nick described her and it was like three adjectives, but I like put the book down and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> That's me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there was certainly some times where I was like, Justine, that's so impulsive. I wouldn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, there's so nice, like... there's a nice Libran character in the book too, um, Fern, who's a, a florist. Uh, so she's she's my she's my my pinup pinup girl for the you know for the balanced um, scales of justice people out there. So. <laughs> She's a character I really enjoyed writing too. Um, so there was grumpy old Len Magellan. He was an Aquarius who um, lives in an old people's home. His three children don't come to visit him as often as he thinks I they have should. Such a soft spot for him. Yeah. <laughs> and he's trying to work out should he disinherit the jobby lot of his children, uh, and he's going to read his horoscope to find out whether he should. Um, so he was a lot of fun to write. Also, Zadie, the the flight attendant who's inconveniently pregnant mm. at the age. Of 23 and she has to decide is she going to keep her baby or not and she's going to read her horoscope to work that out um I loved her as a character too but um if you don't tell any of my other characters I'll tell you who my favorite is yes please (laughs) sorry you can't tell any of the others because you know that would be like saying which is your favorite child but my very very favorite character in the book is brown houdini malarkey yes yes um so I did not so plan. I did not plan when I started writing this book to have a dog as a point of view character. Uh, but when he turned up, he just spoke and he just wrote himself. He was a dream, you know. He he was just so lovely to have in the book and um, so entertaining. He made me laugh out loud. So that that was such an enjoyable part of the book to write. He was gorgeous. Yeah. I loved him so much. <laughs> Um, so we mentioned a little bit earlier that you have written before. Um, how was Starcross different? Because this seems to have got such a huge um, reception, especially with selling in so many overseas markets. Yeah, we're up to, I think, 23 countries now. So wow. that's pretty exciting. And, and some of the translations are starting to turn up in my post box, which is really nice all, all around the world it, it's ending up having different titles too so in finland it's called written in the stars in oh. italy five million watts of starlight in oh, wow. in spanish it's called predestinados in german it's called under a good star and in french it's called when the stars tangle so Ooh, i don't know i like that. that one yeah and all the covers are quite different, of course. So I don't know yet, um, you know, how the rest are going to look and whatever, but we'll we'll see as they as they turn up. Um, also, the screen rights to the book have sold to a um, a production company called Stampede, which is owned by Greg Silverman, former boss of Warner Brothers Pictures. Okay. So. Uh, of course, when screen rights sell, it doesn't necessarily mean anything's going to happen. It's a, a cruelly, cruelly uncertain business, so you just cross your fingers and hope. You de- yeah. never count your chickens before they're hatched with screen. But um, I was really thrilled that although it's an American production company, um, they've engaged an Australian scriptwriter. So that makes my world, really. I think that's great because it's a very, very Australian book. Mm. Yeah, I think so. And I would... Yeah. I don't know. I would love to see it, but I would be a little disappointed if it was Americanized. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I I would really like to see it remain very, very Australian too. Yeah. So your original question was what, what was different about writing this book and, you know, how was it different to writing other things? Um, I think that everything I know about romantic comedy comes from film. Mm-hmm. So, 
if Starcrossed has a great grandmother, it's probably Love Actually. And if it has uh, a crazy French cousin, it's probably um, the beautiful French film Amelie. And if it has a wacky Jewish uncle from the Upper West Side of New York, then it would be the uh, When Harry Met Sally. <laughs> And uh, also another influence in there is um, Gilmore Girls. Oh, yeah, love Gilmore Girls. And what I learned from Gilmore Girls was that a wonderful thing about writing romance is that you don't necessarily need a villain. So think about all the guys that Lorelai dates that she doesn't end up with. They're not bad men. They're just not Luke. And again, the girls that Luke dates, there's nothing bad about them. And, in fact, Lorelai quite, you know, usually quite likes them. It's just that they're not her. And so writing romance is a great genre to be working in if you, if you like me, aren't particularly interested in villains. So I said before I like lots of different narrative experiences and I read lots of different things. The two genres I don't read, um, or two or three probably, I don't read crime. I don't read thrillers and I don't read horror. And it's because I'm easily frightened. I don't like bad guys. I don't want to imagine bad stuff particularly. But that doesn't mean I don't want to imagine problems. Mm. So in, in romance, you have problems. And the antagonist in a romance story is often, you know, our feelings of unworthiness or maybe our uh, fear of rejection or whatever. So it's often a, an obstacle that's within inside ourselves rather than a, a bad guy on the outside. So... Um, I, I find that sort of area easier to, to write in. I don't know that I could write um, a crime book or a, a thriller because I think you have to love the genre that you're working in. And when I was a teenager, I read, I read just, you know, like a, a, a metric ton of those uh, Sweet Valley High romances. <laughs> Loved them. But at the same time, I was reading poetry by Sylvia Plath and I was reading the Bronte Sisters and I was reading plays by Tennessee Williams and I was reading everything by Dylan Thomas. So I had this strange uh, split between really quite highbrow literature and, um, you know, quite generic uh, romance. So I, I think there's a place in us for that catharsis of of romance. I remember being in New York and watching the musical Wicked, and at the end of that musical, everybody stood for a, a standing ovation, and it was because they'd been given this release of this cathartic story where you're led through all of these problems and then given this beautiful happy ending. And oh, such a beautiful I th- show. <laughs> I think we have such a place in our hearts for that kind of catharsis. You know, I. I I sit on the couch and weep watching Sense and Sensibility or Pride and Prejudice, you know. Mm. Um, so that kind of narrative experience where you take people, you take your reader through the problems and then you give them a beautiful tied-up with a bow happy ending, um, that is a joy to experience as a as a reader and, and it's actually a lot of fun to create that kind of experience as a writer. Yeah. I think that's really well put because – you know, you're right. I mean, what's wrong with a happy ending? Like yeah. we we all love a happy ending. Yeah, well, you know, I'm I would really like to say that I'm immensely cool and groovy and uh 
you know, too cool for school and I like a bleak ending as much as the next person. And in some of my writing I do, but deep down I suspect that I'm actually a great big sentimental softie who just wants everyone to be in love at the end. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. I'll watch anything and be like, oh, can these two just get together already? Like, that would make the story better. Like, anything. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Um, so you started your career as a journalist. Um, like you said, you've worked at a couple of different papers. I, I, all the feels there for a newspaper where you have to do everything yourself. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, so many feels there. I'm finishing up at my job at the time of recording this. I'm finishing up at my job in two days and that's my first, like first five years of my career in a newsroom. And, yeah. um, challenging exciting uh super stressful super fun like all the different <laughs> sliding scales of adjectives there um but what did you learn from your time in the newsroom and how's that shaped your writing apart I, from giving you the idea for this book <laughs> great great question um i was 19 turning 20 when I started work as a journalist and oh I, God, worked, <laughs> I worked as a journalist on and off throughout my 20s and uh, and I, I towards the end of my 20s I did my PhD in creative writing but during that time I was still working part-time as a journalist so you know I had about a decade working in the media so mostly newspapers but sometimes producing radio and what I learned, I learned some very important skills, I think, so I'm really grateful for that time. So one of the most important things I learned was you don't have the luxury of thinking, uh, I'll write when I feel like it, I'll write when the muse strikes me. If you've gone out and you've done the interview, you come back to the office and you sit down and write the story, you are contracted to do so. So learning to write when you don't feel like it, when you don't feel inspired, when you don't know how to proceed, but you have to anyway, that is a that is a brilliant skill. Another brilliant skill is actually just being able to turn out two or three thousand words in a day if you need to. That is that's also another great skill. Mm. Then, then there is uh, having the preciousness knocked out of you, which will happen if <laughs> you deal with um, as I did as a 19, 20 year old young woman dealing with middle aged sub-editor men most of whom had been at the pub at lunchtime um you know they they don't pull any punches if they want to tell you they don't think that your work is up to scratch so you can't afford to be precious you just you get over yourself really quite quickly and that that's been a really good skill in my writing life but then there is the the fact that um writing I, I read somewhere I'm I can't remember exactly where, but writing is an image-based system, so you have to keep stocking the well of images in your head. And when you work as a journalist, you encounter people at all kinds of extraordinary times in their lives. You might pe meet people at the highest point of their lives when they've won an award or done something miraculous, or you might meet them at the most tra traumatised, tragic points in their lives where something catastrophic has happened to them so you meet people at this incredible spectrum of emotions also you just meet new people every day you learn about new subjects every day and you go into new people's homes all the time I mean I, I remember 
being a, a, a young journalist and going to somebody's home and needing to use the bathroom. And when I went into their toilet, the entire back of the toilet door and all the walls in there were papered with these letters that these people had written to food companies making really bizarre complaints about um, the products. So things like you know, writing to Apple, uh, to Sarah Lee, to say that they were sure that the Apple content in their apple pies had decreased and, you know, <laughs> just so many of them. And I stood oh, in that's there. that's hilarious. You know, and I kept thinking, I, I really should go out now. I couldn't possibly have been in the loo this long now, but I was <laughs> I was just fascinated and I kept making notes thinking, you know, one day I'll write something about these people who've papered their toilet with, you know, complaint letters. Oh, oh my God. I always so look funny. at people's bookshelves. I always have a, a secret little judge of their bookshelves and see <laughs> what they're reading and, yeah, it, yeah, just try and – because, I mean, if you've got a photographer with you too, like that's always a really good opportunity to have a little snoop around, like – when they're yes. taking a photo and you're like, oh, I don't really have to do anything. Oh, what have, what have they got on their bookshelves? Oh, look, they read Harry Potter. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can't help myself. Like, not in a, like, nosy way, but just, like, I always, if it's on a TV show, whatever it is, I always notice people's bookshelves. Yeah, me too. So it's just natural that when I go into someone's house, I'm like, oh, they've got a bookshelf. What have they yeah. got? And, like, in, in my house, like, my bookshelf is, like, the most prominent feature of our living room. Mm-hmm. for that very reason because I'm like look at my books you know yeah. like it's it's such a exciting thing for me yeah um it's so oh. funny what you notice in people's houses though I yeah. mean I mean yes as a journalist but like my dad is a plumber and he says yeah, he would have the same he thing. says similar things all the time about going into people's houses and you know what I I'm being like oh god weird. they have this weird photo on their you know bookshelf or I they have it, like I find it weird when I go into people's houses and the walls are just there like they have no photos they have nothing I'm just like how do you do you feel like you live here like why don't you have any decoration of any sort some people don't think about it yeah you know what the weirdest thing I've seen though was I mean not the weirdest but it just I just keep thinking why did you do this they had hung a photo frame up that just didn't have any photos in it like it had just those little stock like this is a five by seven frame (laughs) and I was just like why would you do that? It, well, it must have like why? Unless they took the photo out or something, it must have been like an inside joke or something. Surely. I know. It's just I was just like, why? So why funny. would you do that? That makes no sense. Like that's just one of the things that still like that happened like three years ago, and I'm still like, but, but why? there was no photo in the frame. Yeah, like yeah. just occasionally I'll be like, God, that was weird. <laughs> Actually, one one of my books um, is called Housewife Superstar, the very best of Marjorie Bly. And Marjorie is um, – she, she died in 2013 at the age of 97. And she was this crazy Tasmanian woman who wrote books of handy home hints and um, so she was this sort of self-styled domestic goddess. Like and Barry, the original Mrs. Hinch. Yeah, um, but that, <laughs> Barry Humphreys was a big fan of hers and he, um, when Dame Edna started publishing her own books, Dame Edna's books were very much modelled after Marjorie's. Oh, wow. Um, now, I very first met Marjorie when I was about 24 and working as a journalist and I, you know, interviewed her about one of her books and I remembered, you know, this extraordinary woman and then years later I thought, there's a book in her. So I think when you're a journalist, you you encounter all these really quite big stories and all you can write is your, 
you know, your 20 or 30 column centimetres for tomorrow. But sometimes you store things away for later and you think, I'll come back to that. So there have been quite a lot of things um, that I've come back to. And, of course, when you're a writer, your life is actually much more boring than when you're a journalist, (laughs) yeah? Because I get up in the morning, I go up to my caravan in the back garden. Granted, it is a beautiful caravan, but I'm sitting in the same space all day by myself or with my dog, you know. I don't really meet anyone. I don't really go anywhere. I'm usually in my Ugg boots. Um, <laughs> so I'm often in my pyjamas all day. So my life isn't anywhere near as full or as complicated as it was when I was working as a journalist. So, you know, you've just got to remember as a writer that you do actually have to go out there and live life and kind of restock the well. I'm about to take a break from from journalism or from not from journalism but from working. daily from yeah from yeah. full time work in a very busy usually understaffed daily newspaper yeah. um, and while I'm very excited because I feel creatively depleted and I really just need to take a break I do sort of secretly know that I am going to miss the the exciting things that happen mm. and. Yeah. I feel already like I, de- I will return in the future because there is something mm. that is very hard to explain about the adrenaline rush you get of these cool things happening or this breaking news or on the flip side, really terrible stuff, but you're fueled by adrenaline to get the story out and to make sure you've got all the facts and that kind of drives you and can be something that's really hard to find anywhere else. That's right. And, and you yeah. know, the thing is that, um, you know, since stopping working in journalism, I've worked in academia and there is nothing like um, the camaraderie in a newsroom. You certainly don't find it at the university. So that kind of um, joking that you have with your, with your colleagues, you know, with the, with the photographers, with the cartoonists, with the sub-editors and so on, there's a – you've got all of these people together who – they've usually been drawn together by their love of um, text in some way. So you've got lots of people who are very clever with words, lots of people who are very funny, very sharp. And so the kind of newsroom banter that goes on is, um, is can be really delightful. It can, it can, you know, it can also have an edge, but it's something yeah. <laughs> that I really, really missed, um, you know, going into an academic world where people work, you know, in their little cell, really, you know, you have your own separate little office and you don't really interact with other people all that much. So, um, yeah, newsrooms, yes, they're really hard places and, and probably what you're doing is really wise, you know, dipping in, dipping out. So um, the newsroom that Justine works in in uh, in um, Starcrust is one where everybody's actually really quite happy. It's almost a utopia there, but to the point where no one ever resigns, so it's very hard for her to get a promotion. <laughs> Yeah, I thought that was yeah. quite a fun element, actually. Yeah, that was quite that was quite funny because, yeah, I was like, oh, the opposite here. <laughs> I work in one of those places, unfortunately, or fortunately, that it's like this is where you start your career and, like, usually after about two years you move on. So having been there five years now, I've seen a lot of people and yes. I've, start, I've started to feel like I'm just like, oh, my God, it's finally my time to leave. It's yeah. my time to leave. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 
kind of looking forward to I, I said um like kind of jokingly to my mum the other day I was like I better get a good going away present because I feel like I've shelled out a lot for people's going away presents in the last five years <laughs> Um, look, thank you so much for chatting to us tonight, Daniel. We really appreciate it. Where can people find you online? So uh, there's a, a website, which is www.minidark.com. Um, there's a, a bit of an Instagram presence and Facebook too. So I'm not difficult to find in any of those places. Um, if you have a look, you know, for me online and look at images, there's one particularly beautiful one with a rabbit called Luna. Um, obviously, you know, Luna is the star of that picture. She's so beautiful. So, yeah, I'm I'm really quite easy to find. And uh, Starcrossed is in you know all bookshops at the moment. It's also an audio book read by Melissa George. It's also an ebook. So, um, wonderful. Please, you know, in whatever format rocks your boat, enjoy. Oh, I feel like now I want to listen to the audio book because I think that would sound really good yeah, yeah. Michelle's a strong I love audio books oh yeah. me too I'm a complete yeah. audio nut I'm quite obsessed so yeah <laughs> me too absolutely um and with podcasts too which is one of the reasons why we do this so thank yeah. you for joining us we really appreciate it and um yeah I, I guess we'll have to see what the stars have in store for all of us well thank you so much Caitlin thank you so much <laughs> Michelle and you know good luck with whatever life brings you next Thank you. you Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Better Words. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you left a rating or review on iTunes. It really would mean the world to us. And you can also find us on our website, betterwordspodcast.com and on social media at betterwordspod on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Bye. Bye.